Welcome to this week's episode of Getting on the Green. I hope everybody out there had a lovely holiday season as well as a happy new year. Um, let us try best we can to forget about 2020, other than potentially our stock market gains, um, and look forward to 2021. Good things are ahead of us. Um, hopefully we have good health, good business wealth, and we continue to increase our uh, financial literacy. Uh, by doing that, most likely you will continue to have an increased chance of success in your business ventures. So we have Lamar Fisher joining us today of Fisher Auctions. He's a South Florida boy, um, and he'll tell us a little bit more about that, his history and his family history in South Florida. Um, and he is connected with the government, and again, he will tell us a little bit more about that. But let's get right into it. Hey, thank you, Craig, for the opportunity. It's really good opportunity for me to, to share my story and also to be able to work with you today. Thank you very much. Um, so tell us a little bit more about yourself other than you know where you were from and uh, your education because I know you you were holding out on me a little bit so you know <laughs> tell, tell me a little bit more about yourself. Well I'm currently the uh, president and CEO of Fisher Auction Company which is a national real estate auction firm uh, selling real estate throughout the country uh, via the auction process or accelerated marketing is what a lot of people like to refer it to. Um, and my other hat I wear, Craig, is in a political arena that I was the mayor for 11 years for the city of Pompano Beach and now serve as the current Broward County Commissioner for District 4, which is uh, eight cities encompasses that district from Deerfield all the way to Fort Lauderdale, mostly on the coastline. So uh, in my history uh, and my roots go deep in the political arena. My great-grandfather signed the Articles of Incorporation in 1908 for the city of Pompano Beach. And then my grandfather served as mayor in 1943 for the city. So somebody would have told me in college or even high school that I would be in the political arena, I would say, you're crazy. <laughs> but it just kind of worked out, and uh, I enjoy serving at that capacity as well as obviously running my, my real estate auction firm. That's awesome because uh, before we started recording, uh, and one thing that I – somewhat hold uh, as an accolade of mine, even though it really has nothing to do with me, is that I'm a third generation Miami. And I guess these days, you know, how fast people are having kids, it might not be that impressive. But, you know, as, as I was growing up, you know, there weren't too many people that were third generation Miami. And you told me you're a fourth gen, so that kind of blew me away, you know, because as new third gens, there's even less fourth gen. So uh, that I knew, I knew it had to run deep somehow. And for you to say that uh, your grandfather or your was it grandfather or great grandfather? My great grandfather signed the Articles of Incorporation in 1908 for the city of Pompano. So yeah, my roots I, in I knew it had generations to go deep, man. Yeah. Okay. You know, it's been exciting to see uh, the growth uh, in our communities, uh, not only in basically the Dade, Brown, and Palm Beach counties are kind of one in my region, mm -hmm. southeast region, and to see how it grew in Miami, as you've seen it go, Craig, from your your perspective being a third generation. So, you know, it's exciting to meet a fellow Floridian <laughs> in a long time service of, of our area. Yeah. So, so tell us a little bit about how you got into real estate, uh, because, I mean, you have a family in politics. So how do we get into real estate? 
Great question. Uh, I actually, my firm is, is 50 plus years old. My grandfather started the real estate aspect, the real estate traditional method. Uh, and then in 1972, my dad, my father, Benny Fisher, uh, parlayed it into the auction arm of it. And so I joined the firm in 1980 and became quickly uh, entrenched. And so I kind of grew up in, the, in, in this arena of real estate. And the auction part really intrigued me because of the way the transactions developed. We can talk about that too is it's exciting. And it's also exciting to know that what am I going to be offering this month? whether it be a hotel or whether it be a, a five-acre site or whether it be an industrial warehouse or a luxury resident. Uh, you know, it just doesn't, you know, it just it runs the gamut. And it runs the gamut, of course, on the market, what is really dictating that market in today's world. So uh, been, been really in, in your real estate business all my life. Grew up in it and, and joined the firm in 1980 and been here ever since. So it's, it's actually fairly interesting. The more I talk to people and the more podcasts I do, I, I, one of my very common questions, I don't know if I ask everybody, but one of my common questions is how you get into real estate. Um, and most people who I've interviewed have said that they've had family in it in one capacity or the other, whether their family was investors, whether they were brokers, uh, you know, lenders, whatever it is, it seems like real estate is something that runs in the blood. And that if you saw your family doing it, you want to do that too. And that doesn't always happen. For instance, with doctors, I know multiple uh, people whose parents are doctors and they want nothing to do with the medical life or, you know, any other uh, job or career. But it seems like in real estate, it truly is a generational um, type field where it goes, you know, from one member to the next, even if it's not direct, you know, an uncle, an aunt, whatever it may be. Um, but it kind of runs down in the blood. Uh, so... I, I it is, you, know, you look at it, it really is true, you know, how, how it does run in the veins uh, throughout the generation. So, again, growing up in it, I loved it. I always wanted to be where I'm at today. It, well, I did not want to do anything else. I didn't want to be a doctor or an attorney or a CPA. Uh, I wanted to really get in the real estate component. And, and, again, the auction is a little bit different than it is traditional. And that's what I like about it. I like the, I like the, 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 the urgency factor that's created, condensing time frame in making that transaction work. All right, so I wanna get into that in just a second. I just wanna ask you real quick, uh, step into your dad's shoes. I don't know if uh, you know what exactly he was thinking or his mindset was, but why did he convert the company into auction? Uh, or why did he open that side of the real estate world to your business? When he began in the auction industry or the auction business, and, and it, it was really based on personal property selling estates, selling, you know, couches and chairs and, and, and antiques and collectibles. And it was soon after I came on board, uh, I saw the need really is how would it work with selling real estate? So we kind of transitioned together in that aspect. So beginning a personal property and then transition to the real estate in the late eighties, it really became very uh, apparent that the accelerated marketing process was needed because of all the, the current situation, the financial crisis that we were in at that particular time in our country. And then we even got into it more, Craig, when the Resolution Trust Corporation, RTC and FDIC, uh, created RTC really that, that, that parlayed. We were one of 11 companies on a national basis to sell the properties that all the failed savings and loans. Mm. And that just kind of really shot the business to a new level. 
Okay, so you've said a couple times the words accelerated marketing. Can yes. you describe that a little bit? Yes, that is a fancy word for a real estate auction. Okay, <laughs> I, you know, I, I wasn't sure, but you know. It, you know, it is, you know, individuals think usually an auction of a distressed nature. And so the, the industry has kind of got a little bit, you know, brought it to where it would say, hey, okay, it's an accelerated marketing effort uh, to it. But it's, it's nothing more than, than, than an auction scenario, creating urgency, getting individuals together to compete for whatever you're selling. Okay, so let's dive slightly more into the actual auctions. How is, that, how is an auction different from a standard sale of a property? So it's different in multiple ways. Uh, the transaction is as is where is no contingencies, Greg. So usually in a traditional mode, you have a due diligence period, whether it be a 30 or 60 or 90 days, where the auction scenario, all due diligence is done during a 60-day window of marketing. So a package is designed and built for all the due diligence on that property, no matter what it is, whether it's a survey, environmentals, you name it, is in this package. So when the bidder is ultimately declared the highest and best bidder and successful purchaser, he's going to put or she's going to put down a 10% hard deposit and close in 30 days. So that's a differentiator when it comes to traditional versus an auction scenario. That's just one component. The second component is obviously creating a market, creating urgency. People tend to gravitate to an auction because they think they're going to get a buy. That's what everybody is. That's the large city in the hearts that everybody has uh, in, in their hearts. So we want to make sure that we create the momentum. And the more we have competing, the more dollars we ultimately get for our client and our seller. And that's what it's really all about on an as is where is basis. So why go through an auction versus a broker? And, it, and, it, and that's a good question because not every property is an auction candidate. It, it, there has to be certain circumstances, and it's, it's a array of whether it be a bankruptcy, whether it be a state receivership, whether it be an assignment for the benefit of the creditors, or whether it be a, a private individual who needs to move that property quickly. And, and because, But not every property is an auction candidate. And I can tell you right away, we – evaluate each transaction that comes to us to say, Mr. Seller, really, we're not for you. You need to go the traditional method because the motivation is quite not there. And, and that's a key. And, and another component, so we are always have been, um, our appetite has always been to be able to work with brokers. Not only brokers bringing us clients, but also brokers who bring buyers to the auction and, and are compensated that way. And most recently, we actually cooperated with NAA Miami on a bankruptcy sale uh, on a piece of property in Hollandale Beach that was very successful. But we teamed together. where We brought the traditional aspect of marketing with the auction aspect. We blended them together, and the client was ultimately very, very satisfied. Okay. Um, would you say that this seller – is in some sort of distress situation and they kind of have to get rid of their property? Or is this more, you know, do people go through this process on an electory basis or are they somewhat forced into the auction style? I would say that probably 50% of our transactions are private sellers and the other 50% are what you call somewhat distressed. Okay. Okay. But that 50% is private seller basis and someone always tells me where well, I sold my property in one day. Well, if you did, 
you left money on the table because yes. you didn't allow individuals to compete for it. Yes. And so that's where the auction component comes in is let's get everybody together at one time and let them compete for it. Let them fight over it. Let the egos and the impulse take over. And ultimately, you'll get more money at the end of the day. But it's about a 50-50, Craig. Okay. Um, is your platform purely digital or do you have an actual auction house where somebody's, you know, doing, you know, I, I can't, I can't like do that. Two, not two, in Africa, three men, three in Africa, four, 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 there we go. go. Right? There we go. So do you so, have an so, actual auction, like physical we do. house? Uh, COVID has kind of taken it a little bit to, to, to the sidelines. We were always doing uh, online auctions before COVID, but now that COVID has hit, uh, we do strictly online. But prior to that, uh, we do. We can go into a, a setting, go on site at the property, and actually have an auction like I just talked to you about, or or you can do online or both. So there's a combination there of all of them. But right now, we're strictly on online mode. Okay, so that kind of brings me into another question that I had um, is, so you said you can do it on site. So when somebody is doing or potentially going to purchase one of these properties through auction, are they allowed to see the property? Are they allowed to walk into it like a standard purchase? Or is this kind of like, hey, I hope it works out. I hope it, <laughs> it is the inside of what I'm you know, expecting. Hopefully I get a bargain. But if it you know, is a disaster on the inside, then I guess I was wrong. You know, so you're, you're absolutely right. So during that, remember I talked about that 60 day marketing window is when absolutely they can, the buyers could come in and do their inspections, you know, walk through the property. If they want to hire inspection firms, text roofs, whatever they want to do, they can absolutely have that right to do so. So and, we and want real, the buyer to be aware of everything and anything about that property. So There's that 60 no days is before the actual auction occurs? Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. Before the auction occurs. So we want them to be, like I said, fully knowledgeable. Mm -hmm. We don't want to have any surprises at the end of the day for them not to know about all I didn't see that uh, problem there. Well, you had every opportunity, Mr. Mr. Byer, to, to look at the property. Okay, because, yeah, I know that they're as is and take it or leave it. So, yes. I, I so when you're selling five and six million dollar transactions, you know, those individuals are definitely doing their homework and making sure those inspections are being done properly in their eyes. Yes, absolutely. So what do you see as the main benefits of going through an auction style? versus the the standard what what would be you know and and let me ask for for both sides let's let's give me like your top for the seller and the top for the buyer what are the best things that you get out of an auction so the top for a, a seller is timing it really is so from from contract of, of, of listing the property with us to close is 90 days that is a very very attractive to to an individual. So timing, I think, is number one for sellers. But I think buyer side, I think it's it's the assurance of not paying, in their mind, more for the property than they would otherwise. Because if if the person is bidding a million dollars, it surely might be worth a million fifty to me. It assures them that they're getting, in their mind, a fair transaction, mm -hmm. a fair, fair deal rather than trying to list it and coming down back and forth or I'm going to, you know, list it for a million, I'll give you 800 and I'll settle on 900 and you're negotiating that way where the, it, it creates a confidence ability on the buy side. Well, there was a guy right behind who was willing to pay a million. So if it's worth a million to him, it's surely worth a million fifty to me. 
And that are that competition? Are those values published while the auction goes on? Because in theory, when I'm dealing with through a broker, I guess my price that I am offering is in, in theory, it's secret. It, nobody else knows what it is. Sure, the broker might tell somebody else, but they might be lying. So are, right. are yours, um, I guess, published for the other people to see, which gives them that confidence, I guess, to know that somebody else actually wants to purchase it at that price? Well, that, in a live scenario, they'd actually, they'd actually can see that better. Yeah, I guess that's true. In, in an online scenario, they can actually see the screen. On, when, on who's bidding. So yes, sir, they are, they are definitely looking at whatever the, bidder, the bid is and what they want to either further that bid uh, in advancement of that. Absolutely correct. And okay. at the ultimate thing, when we close the transaction, it's public record at that point uh-huh. as well. Um, so you were talking about the timing uh, being the number one benefit or one of the top benefits. Is there some sort of guarantee on timing that you all give to your sellers or something along those lines that you come to us, it's going to be sold in 90 days or or we're going to do our best to bring together buyers. But like what happens if it's just an absolute piece of garbage property that nobody wants? You know, are, do you guys give a guarantee or something like that or or is that just not an industry practice? Well, if we, if we don't, if we if, if if the property is not worth value, then obviously we're not even going to go through with the exercise. Okay, so you're doing your due diligence. So we want to qualify. First thing we want to qualify the property. We qualify the seller because there's really two types of auctions. This is very important. The first type or methodology is what we call no reserve. So the property, Craig, starts from zero up, and whatever the knockdown price is, that property trades. The second method is where you do have a minimum bid or a reserve. And generally that's published. We normally publish it. This property to be sold at or above X. But Craig, that number has to be aggressive enough and low enough to create competition. So you can't have a million dollar property and the reserve be a million. It has to be much lower. When we sold the Versace mansion at auction, we were ones that sold that. Uh, the reserve was 25 million but it traded at 41 and a half. The 25 million was the catalyst, the reserve or the res minimum to get folks there to compete and ultimately pay the 41 and a half million. And my backup bidder was Mr. Trump. All right, so I was definitely gonna ask that. I just had written down reserve price on my sheet um, because I wanted to know, you know, my experience in auctions is as grand as eBay. So that's as far as my auction experience goes. So, and, and also the, the Mecham Autumn one, auto auctions that I, I watch on TV. But, you know, I'm, I've never been there, so I, I can't say much about the experience-wise. So let, I, let me tell you about real quick on eBay too, Craig, because you're right. A lot of people, uh, you know, synergizes that together is what we're doing. But in eBay, if, you, if you're bidding on eBay and the last person that pushes that button before the time ends gets that item. In our online system, if there's bidding within the last three minutes of its deadlines, so let's say we, we our, our auction, our online's auction is gonna end at 2.30 today. If there's bidding with the last like three minutes of 2.30, it extends itself. So it keeps the bidding going and it creates more money for the seller at the end of the day. We had an auction for 39 condominiums three weeks ago in, in South Carolina and, and the extended went 50 minutes over, 50 minutes. But it generated over $300,000 more money for the seller. 
Interesting. So a differentiator when it comes to eBay. So I know the, the psychology in when it comes to the eBay auctions and the example you just gave is if I'm the last to click, I won. I was faster than you. I beat you. It was a race. I win. So what's the psychology behind, for instance, that example you gave um, where it extended for 50 minutes? Why, why would it be extended? Why weren't these people necessarily putting those bids in on their highest and best prior to this? So when you're spending five, six, ten million dollars, it takes time to really feel filtrate. Am I able to really pay five point one million dollars? I don't want to lose it at that particular time. So it's a it's a very um, educated buyer usually that is involved, and they would know actually what they want to pay when they get caught up in it. It really pushes it to the it really pushes them to the limit at that particular time, and it also again. Make no mistake, I'm working for my seller. So I want to get this most money I can for my seller. Understood. So if you're working for your seller, what type of guarantee do you have that these buyers are A, serious and B, real in theory? I mean, especially if you're now on a fully digital platform where there's nobody that you're visually seeing in front of you. How do you know that these are actual real people where the seller is going to get paid? Great question, and, and, and it's qualifying the bidder. So the bidder actually has to pre-escrow, Greg, a specific amount of dollars in advance in order to even get into the game. Before they even make a single bid. Before they can, they have to give us all their data. They have to give us proof of funds on what they anticipated on paying, and then they have to physically escrow a deposit in order to get into the game. And then once they become the high bidder, they're going to give us an additional deposit totaling 10%. So my sellers know, hey, I've got 10, 12, 15 qualified bidders that can bid on violence property here today. It's a great question because otherwise, if you didn't pre-qualify them, then somebody could just bid and just walk. And, and ultimately, everybody loses at that point. So um, you said that you basically pre-qualify them and you ask them how much they anticipate to pay. So do yeah. you hold on to that information or do you then pass it on to the seller and say, hey, these guys are expecting to pay this much, you know, hold off or I something always, like I that? Or I always disclose my sellers what, what those bidders are, obviously in confidence. No, none of the other bidders know who they are, and I would not disclose to each of them. But I would say, hey, we have you know, five bidders and they're pre-qualified. They can spend up to $10 million, whatever it is. So we know now they don't have if they don't have any competition to drive them there, then they're not going to go there, obviously. But at the end of the day, we know that they're at least qualified to pay that kind of money for it. OK. And you also let's just give the example of 10 pre-qualified buyers or potential um, buyers. How do you have a basic estimate of how many of those who you pre-qualify or a percentage of those who actually make a bid once the auction actually starts? Do you, do you have those numbers or is that something that's not even worth your time tracking? You, you drive yourself crazy tracking it. Okay. Because you could have 10 registered bidders and two of them bid. Mm -hmm. Or you could have 10 registered bidders and all 10 bid. It's, it really is something that you really can't pinpoint. All you need is two, by the way. All you need is two bidders. Oh, so one one won't qualify as an actual sale? If only if we only had one qualified bidder, we would call that auction because there's no competition factor there at all. So you have to have two or more Interesting. in order to, to, to have an auction in our, in our platform. 
So is that on the pre-qualifying area or is that in the actual auction as well? So if you, in the pre-qualifying, when you're trying to get you know people interested uh, and you're finding out how much they're willing to, to pay and, and, and et cetera, um, if they, if there isn't more than one, you're just not even going to, not even going to set it out. Or are you going to push the auction date? What, what happens in that situation? Things. We can, we can just cancel the auction or we can push it out to say, Hey, we're trying to qualify more bidders. Let's extend it for 30 days. Interesting. You can do, you can kind of do both or a hybrid thereof and, and, and knock on wood. We haven't had that scenario oh, in many, wow. many, many years where we've only just had one, wow. uh, bidder at this point, you know, we've had multiple bidders. Uh, you know, qualify. Now, whether they all bid or not, again, like you said, Craig, we don't know, but at least they're qualified. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the seller control. Um, obviously, when I'm a seller and I am doing a conventional sale, I have the full control of who gets my property and for, in theory, for what price, because I'm going to agree on it in the end, whether I like it or not, whether it's 90% lower than I wanted. If I agree on it, I control who's getting it. What type right. of seller control do they have through an auction or through you? So they really control all aspects of the transaction. They control the time when we're going to close, who we're going to close. We dictate to the buyer we're going to close with such a law firm or such a title company. When we're going to do, here's the deed that you're going to get. Here, here's the contract that you're going to be signing. As is where is no contingencies. You're going to agree to all the terms. Other than pricing, if there's a minimum reserve, they have to be committed to sell the property at that price or above. They have to understand if somebody bids, is there, is there a $25 million reserve and somebody bids $25 million and, and nobody else bids, that property's going to sell for $25 million. Interesting. So, um, again, so they have to feel confident in their mind. Hey, this is a reserve that I'm willing to take and move it forward. Mm -hmm, absolutely. So in going back to the conventional sale of a property, if two people bid the exact same thing, I guess in your online platform that can't happen. But if two people tell me that they're going to buy my property for $1 million and I hate one person and I love the other, I'm going to choose the one that I love. Um, or for instance, my competition, if I am McDonald's, for instance, and I'm selling to my biggest uh, competitor, you know, I'm not going to sell to them. I'm going to have some sort of restriction. Um, is there anything that goes into that or can be placed in that so that you, for instance, if it, like any sort of deed restriction or anything along those lines that do those get transferred with an auction as well? Or is it, you know, absolutely. Can. Old... Yes, sir. They, they definitely can be transferred. Interesting. Yeah, like you said, the seller only wanted to, to sell to a fast food chain. Uh, that's the terms of the transaction. That's it. So if you don't, not going to put a McDonald's or a Wendy's or whatever it may be, a Culver's, then I'm sorry, you, you should not bid. Interesting. You're not going to be you're not going to be qualified to buy. Okay, so let me ask you. Good questions. How, well, thank you. How do you guys make money? Another differentiator between traditional and an auction scenario: we actually get paid by the buyer. Oh. So the buyer is paying commissions rather than the seller. So that's another attractive component to the sell side. Sure. You know, I, okay, I'm, if, I, if, I, if I take a million dollars today and my commission is 10%, I'm gonna net, whatever is it, $910,000. If 
I sell an auction and it sells for a million dollars, that's net to me because commissions are paid on top. And Craig, the, the percentage varies. It could be 5%, 6%, 10%, 4%. Obviously, the higher the dollar of the property, usually the lower the percentage. Mm-hmm. Um, and generally within that percentage, we're paying co-brokers, we're paying buyer brokers, we're paying seller brokers, all in that is encapsulated. So ultimately the seller at the end of the day says, okay, whatever I hear auction day is net to me. Now, some folks will say, hey, if if I'm gonna have to pay a 10% buyer's premium on top of my bid, and I wanna pay a million dollars, I'm gonna stop at 900, right? Mm-hmm. That's theory. When they get into the bidding process, they forget about it. <laughs> they know about it. They've signed on it, but it, it's the, it's the excitement. Yep. And all of a sudden, they paid a million, but now they're paying a million one because they're paying commissions on top. Yep. So, so that's like the psychological theory. aspect. So going in, they think about it during the process. They do not. Wow. I actually sold. I, I, I use this example. I, I had a piece of property on four forty one in Fort Lauderdale, and I and I had an auction on site. And actually, another auction company came and bid on it. They needed the property for for one of their reasons. Yeah. And, and and he went to sign the transaction, right? And he looks at the contract and he goes, "Lamar." I go, "What?" He goes, "I forgot about the ten percent buyer's premium, and I charge it every day." <laughs> <laughs> he forgot about it during the bidding. So you can see how psychologically it does work. So that's an industry standard from auction houses is that it goes on the buyer as opposed to the seller? Yes. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Because that's definitely a draw for sellers. You know, if you can make it, you know, it really is. Even 6%, whatever percentage it is, that's, that's a huge difference in. uh, And, and Craig, you can pass on closing costs. You can pass on the title insurance policy commitment onto the buyer side. So again, we talk about control. And making it uh, the seller more seller friendly transaction for them. Interesting. So, tell us about the future of auctions. What what do we what do we look like? Um, I I just did a, a podcast recently about technology and how um, basically it's changing the world, um, and especially um, service oriented businesses. Um, but I was told by the person I was interviewing that. If you can add other sort of value, then your job is going to be safe. So that kind of, you know, made me all warm and fuzzy inside because I know I'm willing to put in time, effort and do other things that, for instance, a, uh, a automated program can't do and provide services to a client that as a broker that a technology can't do. So how is technology helping you and what is the future of auction houses and auctions uh, for real estate? I think in our industry, whether it be auctions or whether it be traditional sales, Craig, I still think you need that personal touch. You still need to communicate with that seller, keeping them informed and really having that personal service that I think a computer can never do. A computer just can never do that. On my end though, as in the auction process, is I think you're gonna see more and more totally, totally online sales. And the reason is it's, it's, a, it's, it's convenient. So in the older days or the previous days where somebody might have to travel from California to an auction site, when we're selling on site, he or she doesn't have to do that anymore. They can sit in Hong Kong, they can sit in California, they can sit in New York and bid right from their computer. And that's a huge advantage for them. 
it's a cost effective for both buyer and seller. So we don't have to put on a big stage. We'll have to do all these things through a live auction. They keep it online. So I think technology in my industry is, is, is here to stay when it comes to the online component. And you're going to see less and less me saying, I'm going to get six now, seven and I'm going to get, you don't have to see that in, 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 the, in the long range plan. Well, I, I don't want to speak for everybody, but I certainly know I like hearing that. You know, I don't, I don't know if there's <laughs> like a, a technical mistake. jargon name for it, but, uh, you know, I, I, I like hearing that. Um, it's called the chant. It's called the auctioneer's chant. Okay. The chant. I like hearing the chant. It, you know, that's in theory, that's part of, in my head, what brings out that excitement that, oh shoot, I only wanted to pay this much, but you know, now I'm in it and you know, this guy's screaming at me and all right, <laughs> whatever, I'm going in. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so, <laughs> Yeah, so it definitely it's, has its advantages at that point because it, they get caught up in the into the arena. Exactly. You know? Oh my gosh! I got. I got to put my card up. I got to put my card up now. Yeah. So I, I, I don't want to lose it, or or my wife is poking me. She says, "I got to have this this luxury home." You know, I got to have it. <laughs> so let's talk about a little bit because we are getting towards the end a little bit of our time. But let's talk a little bit about what types of products. Uh, move through the auctions. Are you solely doing commercial or do you, you said you kind of don't know what's coming this week or whatever. Um, what, what type of products are you dealing with? So it is, it's truly a, a mixture uh, and it comes mostly a lot of commercial, about probably 50%, 60% commercial and the rest of, of the inventory is either industrial, hospitality, hotels or, or land development and, and of course the land components have to be fully entitled Greg because otherwise if they don't have entitlements to them they're just not really valuable to someone that, because they want to have an income of some sort generally mm-hmm. yeah. unless they're a developer unless like I said it's fully entitled for 300 units with retail that's exciting because then, then the developer can immediately pull the trigger pull site plan and get it permit and build so you don't deal with res- sorry go ahead and then we do some high-end luxury. And, it, and, and that's kind of been a, a market for the last 18 months because those who can afford those type of properties are transitioning out of having those large expensive homes and they're going more into the penthouse field. So they're leaving the ocean fronts and, and the intercoastal fronts to, to, future, to future owners because they just don't want to deal. They want to lock the door and be done with it. Interesting. So, so that's not something that you all would potentially, you know, try and focus on to, because I know the housing, um, is housing is booming right now. Uh, it is. You know, it's one of the, one of the, out of all of real estate, that's that and industrial are two of the biggest movers right now. Um, so is that something that you all see yourselves trying to focus on more in the future or, you know, whatever yeah. happens, happens, you're open to qualified sellers as long as they're qualified. Both. But more, and when I talk about my my inventory is secular, tends to be like if the if the hospitality mode is in somewhat of a a, a, a slide down, I, I tend to get more hospitality. If it, industrial is the same way, so it, it just it just really varies at the end of the day on what what we are able to to take in inventory and ultimately sell. And, and but our specialty really, I guess, if you had to have a specialty, is really commercial. Okay. All right, so to finish out, I just have a, a, one or two questions about uh, your position as Broward County Commissioner. Yes. 
how does that relate to real estate? Or so does it, it? It relates in all aspects. It relates to, because um, the commission deals with uh, land use. So we ultimately uh, approve all the land use text amendments, all amendments to a development property, a zoning to a large extent. So we, we are touching real estate. Really, we own our own real estate as well that we're transforming into potential transit-oriented corridors, uh, affordable housing, is, is a very great push right now for because of the, the the lack of land and the cost of land. So we're creating trust funds to have developers be able to build affordable housing. And when I say affordable housing, Greg, that is not Section 8 housing per se. It is truly workforce housing where you have your firefighters, your nurses, and, and your school teachers that, that need that type of housing and its quality. But it's, it's enabled them to have some rental assistance to be able to live in a great place. So it touches and fuels a lot of the real estate components uh, in there. Of course, obviously we set policy on other government entities. You know, we have a $5.4 billion budget, for instance. Wow. Uh, you know, we have over 6,000 employees. Um, so it's, we're, there's nine of us total that sits on the board of commissioners. So I look at it as we're, uh, we're a nine board member corporation. We're in a large corporation, basically, of taxpayer money. So we wanna make sure that, that every dollar we spend is to maximize the value for our taxpayers. And as somebody who uh, has an affinity for investments, um, and I'm sorry if this is a little off topic, but um, where does that taxpayer money sit when it's not being spent? Is, is it being invested uh, in the meantime? Are you in like T-bills? Are you, what, 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 where's that money sitting? It's all, it's, it's, it's a multitude of investments because we obviously have reserves and while we're having money to sit there, we want it to make it grow. Exactly. So that's, that's why I had to ask. So, absolutely. So we have a, a whole department that does nothing but do our investments wow. for us on all our dollars that we have and they, and they try to parlay a, a, a general percentage that's favorable at the end of the day. And obviously you have smoothing because you have pensions mm-hmm. to deal with. So you have smoothing years when you're down. But ultimately, it's in a positive note at the end of the day, and and it's and it's millions of dollars, quite frankly, Greg. Wow, well, that's very cool. I mean, uh, this this whole conversation has been quite enlightening to me. I know that um, I'm definitely going to look into auctions more for my own investments. I mean, I I love looking into investment properties. I mean, I just completed my first one earlier. Uh, just prior to COVID, um, and you know, I'm always looking for more. So I'm going to start looking at your site. I'm going to, you know, hopefully be able to be on uh, one of those people that you know picks out a deal. There you go. We'd love to have you, and love to, to say have you smile and say, "Listen, I am happy because I bought this piece of property today." Absolutely. Well, thank you for coming on, Lamar. I mean, this has been amazing. Uh, I really appreciate it. My listeners appreciate it, and we hope to speak to you soon. You got it, brother. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. So that's the end of this episode of Getting on the Green. Uh, I learned a lot about uh, auctions, which truly I didn't know much of other than my eBay experience, which, you know, I've sold a bunch of things and bought a bunch of things on eBay, as I'm sure a lot of you have. Um, We have a couple more episodes until the end of our second season. I'm I'm really excited uh, about everything we've done, everything... We have planned, we have a new website up, gettingonthegreen.com. Hopefully you all take a look at that. Uh, We started a golf blog. Um, 
talks about a couple of South Florida golf courses. I've only posted one as of now. Um, that'll be a weekly posting, so stay tuned for those. Uh, kind of gives my rating, my insights from a PGA standpoint of um, everything from arriving to the course to dealing with the staff to the course conditions and the overall dollars worth of each course. So um, hopefully you all take a look at that. It's a passion of mine. I always look for the bargain deal, although I don't like the uh, garbage courses, even if they're the cheapest. I like finding the best bang for my buck when playing golf. And I don't just play the same course every week. So I'd suggest you all take a look at that. Hopefully give me feedback. Um, I'd love to hear from you all. If you have any interest in being on the podcast, there is a link on the website uh, that you can reach out to me as well. Um, so I look forward to posting the last few episodes of this season and then getting into our next season, which I'm really excited about. We have some awesome, awesome guests lined up already. I've already spoken to them a little bit. Um, haven't recorded anything yet, but uh, we have that on the books. So until then, we will see you on the green.